Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. refused to believe it was a shooting um, until it just kept going and going. And then Chase Haldine left the stage and then everybody started fleeing. And we started fleeing. We, we had to have a gate to get out. It sounded like a, just a firework, something that you think normally happens in Vegas. And then it just started going pop, 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 pop. Through investigation and response, we determined there was a shooter on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay. I had no sense that we were in any danger at all. It felt so safe. We are live in Las Vegas. I'm here with my buddy Alan Duke bringing you the very latest in our investigation into the Vegas shooter. Nearly 60 dead, hundreds injured, and still searching for answers. 
I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. It seems here in Vegas as though a pall has fallen over the city. Yes, people are still partying. Yes, the casinos are full. But everywhere you turn, I've learned in the last hours, having walked the casino floors, everyone is still talking about and in fear of what happened with the Vegas shooter, Stephen Paddock, as the investigation actually continues to heat up. Joining me, a survivor of the Vegas shooting, Dr. Carol Lieberman, author, Alan Duke, of course, joining me here in Vegas. Right now, out to investigative reporter John Limley with CrimeOnline.com. John, so much has been made just recently regarding the autopsy on Stephen Paddock. What may have triggered the deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. But the investigation is going even deeper than that as into motive and how he was able to carry it out from a luxury high-rise casino. What have you learned, John Limley? Well, in addition, Nancy, to questions about the state of Paddock's brain, there's also really from the very beginning been a lot of discussion about the whole timeline of events and exactly how they came down. Uh, Some say that there was a six-minute gap between when a security guard in the hotel was shot to when the the mass shooting began in earnest um a lot of questions a lot of questions still nowhere okay wait a minute john lemley john lemley hold on let me analyze what you just said a six minute gap between the first shooting of a hotel security guard before mass murder goes down with me right now a survivor of the vegas shooting well-known attorney brian claypool brian i had no idea that you survived the vegas shooting i want to hear why you were in vegas and what what effect does it have on you that there was basically a six-minute warning before mass murder goes down yeah nancy thanks for having me um before i even tell you why i was there there's not only a six-minute gap i've read the entire uh, 80 eight-page preliminary investigative report that was released. A lot of people don't know this, but Jesus Campos was actually on the 32nd floor at 9.46 p.m. Remember, the shooting started at about 10.06. He was there, and he discovered a, a barricaded door in the stairwell of the 32nd floor. Now, you have kids. I have a little girl. I think my little girl, if she was working as a security guard at, at the uh, Mandalay Bay, would have had a red, red alert. Okay. Somebody's manipulated this door. It's blocked. People can't get out if there's a fire. I better call the fire department. Tell me that again, Brian. Tell me that again. Oh, yeah. I want to understand it. 9.46 p.m. 9.46 p.m. Campos was called to the 32nd floor for what's called an SOS alarm. It's a hot alarm, which means that somebody has left their door open for a prolonged period of time. That triggers an alarm within the the Mandalay Bay. He was called up to the 32nd floor to check that alarm. This is at 9.46 p.m. He finds the hallway door barricaded. That means it's been intentionally manipulated. He can't open it. You mean it was a a door to a room or a door to an exit? No, the the hallway. The hallway. Ah. The hallway. Okay, that's just just odd. I mean, in any big building... 
if if I saw that, I, I would immediately think something was sideways. Okay, go ahead. Exactly. That's that's my point. So that's 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 the point I'm trying to make. He never calls the fire department. Never calls the police department to to to, to report that, and then goes and does his little you know other things, and then saunters back up there with an engineer, you know, a few minutes before the season starts. So I just want to make that clear though, because I represent. I've got over 40 clients now, too. In addition to being a survivor, I'm representing over 40 victims. That's one of the big arguments we're going to be making in this litigation, that this timeline extends well beyond six minutes. Anybody with a half a brain in their head, we've been calling for backup at 9.46 p.m. So 9.46, that's a whole new thing. I I did not know that someone had intentionally barricaded a high-rise exit door open. To Brian Claypool, Dr. Carol Lieberman, John Limley joining me. We are live here in Vegas investigating for ourselves. You know, once it's once an investigation starts, unless you hear the facts from police, it gets crazy with all the theories, the bizarre theories that may be supported by one scintilla of fact. So, Brian Claypool, you just were at a survivor's vigil, a meeting last night late into the night and i i just can't imagine what everyone is going through i mean i had it bad enough with one murder to deal with yeah Nancy, but you can being relate. on the scene of a mass murder yeah you can relate to this with your with, with what happened to you with your your husband and, and then another thing you can relate to is you have kids you know i have an 11 year old little girl right i'm a single parent and I love being a dad, and I want to have another child, right? But imagine if you were at that concert, right? I was there. My birthday was the following Tuesday. So I decided last minute to go out to, to Vegas. I like country country music. And I was staying, by the way, on the 26th floor of the Mandalay Bay. So when I eventually got back to my room, uh, I could send you pictures. I, I could look up and see paddocks blown out windows right above me. That's how surreal it was. But imagine this being a parent. And then all you're going from relaxing to all of a sudden hearing sounds that you think initially are fireworks. And then what I did is I, <clears throat> I started looking at Jason Aldean's face. I was a little bit to the left of the stage. And I was looking at his face because I was a little bit worried because I looked up in the sky and I didn't see any, any residue from fireworks. And he kind of stuttered when he was singing when, when that first, the first sounds popped. But then, then there was a second round of pops, and when I saw him, put his guitar underneath his, his, um, the cup of his shoulder and ran off the stage, man, I, I, I went, I, 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 it was just complete panic because I knew at that time something horrible was going on. But I will tell you this, as I was, you know, the first round of bullets, you know, I was trying to duck and, and trying to lay down. Um, I, I fully expected to die. There's no question about it because of the pop, 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 pop. I mean, you just felt like the bullets were right on top of you. You could hear the bullets could hear him pinging. You, I, I just expected to die. Then when there's a little gap in the shooting, I went from I'm going to die to, man, I am really, I've got to live to see my daughter. But then I said, if I live, I'm going Okay, to- wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute. You're just totally, you're, you're killing me right now mm-hmm. because the thought of you, Brian, I mean, you and I go way back, mm-hmm. of you laying there on the ground with, bullets ringing out and all you can think about is trying to get back to your daughter i mean yeah but but nancy you know what that triggers it triggers post-shooting guilt in other words in other words because i had a talk with some people at the survivor meeting about this because there was a there was a guy i met there who invited me a guy named taylor winston taylor was a hero if you if you look him up he actually was a former iraqi vet he was at the shooting 
he actually grabbed a truck that had keys in it and started transporting some bodies in the hospital. So when I hear his story, I then kind of spiral because I feel like I didn't do enough. But this gets to me having a daughter. In other words, I saw people down. <coughs> excuse me. I didn't. I didn't feel like I did enough because I was trying to get back to my little girl, whereas other people did more. So I'm feeling psychologically. I'm seeing a therapist. I'm trying to work on that aspect of it too. So that's that's the demons that I'm dealing with post-shooting. Well, wait a minute. I just want to tell you a, a story I haven't shared, even with you, Alan. I remember I was out in a housing project. I guess I'd been prosecuting. I had already been named a special prosecutor by that time. So I had to be in it at least five years prosecuting. And I went with my longtime investigator, Ernest, and we went up to find a witness on a, a porch stoop and there was a screen door, and we couldn't see in, and we were bamming on the door, and all of a sudden, a gun comes out, pointed right at our face, and Ernest, both of us, he grabbed me, we both dived off the porch into the bushes and hit hard, and I still remember that moment. It was so fast, I hardly remember the gun barrel, but in that moment, and, and I don't like, and I, I'm applying this to you, Brian, you got to stop. You've got to. I'm so glad you're seeing somebody with survivor's guilt because you were trying to protect the thing that means the most to you, your child. And I also don't like people attacking Aldine for leaving the stage because when you are confronted with death, you act instinctively. He wasn't standing there thinking, oh, what's going to look good with my PR aid? You know, that's not what it was about. It's about saving your life. So I really resent people attacking the survivors because something kicks in. And I just am still imagining you on the ground with the bullets ringing out. How did you get out of there? And what, what was it like? What was going through your mind? What was everybody else doing? Well, I mean, I mean, it was like it was pick your poison. I mean, death, death was... Death was definitely at your doorstep, and, 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 I, and what I remember is thinking, so when the first round of shots were go, was going on, like I said, I thought I was going to die, then I went from I'm going to die to there was a little break in the shooting, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was stealing my body, and I'm like, and I was covering the side of my head while the shots were going on, and believe it or not, it was so surreal, I was pulling on people's pants, like, like some people were still standing. I don't know if they were just in shock. I was trying to pull people to come down, and then and then I'm like, oh my god, I'm still alive. And then then I started running, and I saw people down, and then I was like, running actually in the in an open area, which was not good. And then what happened is there was a really heroic young Hispanic man, um, and he said, get out of you're you're in the line of fire, get out, come over here. And then there was this little area like under this little small bleacher to the left of the stage. And he goes, come in here. This is before the second round of shots, right? And I go in there, and I'll never forget seeing like five or six like young ladies. Like young ladies, they must have been probably about between nineteen and twenty-two, and they were just on their knees crying hysterically, like praying, like all in a corner, like in this little area. So I tried to calm them down and say, you know, I said it's going to be okay, just relax, you know. I didn't say I just just be just. Be calm. We're going to get through this. I said, but we've got to get out of here when this next shooting stops. Because then I started thinking about the Pulse nightclub shooting. You see what I mean? It was like, it was like, okay, okay. I thought, I thought, okay, okay. Wow, we're protected now. But see, what people don't understand, Nancy, we didn't know where the shooting was coming from. So everybody Monday morning quarterback says, oh, it was just up in a hotel. What are you worried about? 
we were thinking it was people right across the fence. I was right next to the fence, contiguous with Las Vegas Boulevard. So while for a moment I thought we were safe inside that room, I was starting to panic and I prayed. I was like, oh my God, if they shooter comes in here, we're done, right? We're toast because we got nowhere to go. So that then the, the next round of shooting is going on. We're just, we're, we're, and I think you can relate to this being a mom. You know, I'm a middle-aged man. So I felt guilty that these young girls were going to die. So I instinctively stood in front of them. I'm really proud of this because I didn't feel like I did enough, but I felt like I was protecting them. I stood in front of them and didn't even get behind this barricade I had pulled in front of them. I stood in front of them because I was kind of feeling like, look, if this dude comes in here, then he can shoot me first because these girls are younger, right? And they haven't lived enough of life. So I stood like right in front near the entrance of the door. And then there was another break in the shooting. And I'll never forget the most surreal moment. I peeked out the door and I literally am facing the Mandalay Bay, looking right at the Mandalay Bay. And then there was a really brave police officer across the fence who saw me and he screams out, I'll never forget these words, run north now, run north now. North meaning go further away from the front of the venue. And then of course I start like running north and then I'm like, what about the girls, right? So I did a quick 360 and ran back in the room, like, let's go, come on, let's go, we got to get out of here. And then started going toward the back. But Nancy, what people don't get is the entire time you're trying to exit, you're waiting to get hit. In other words, we were, then, then we're waiting to get hit from behind, like, like we're waiting, like, like we had to wait for people to try to get out. But the whole time you're, you're expecting to get hit in the back because the shots are still going on. So... And then eventually kind of had to calm people down to get out of this one little small four-foot exit. And I just said to people, if you're going to fight, nobody's going to make it out of here alive. I tried to really just say we've got to all get in a single line and try to get our way through. And then, you know, praise God made it out. Let me pause and thank our partner making our investigation possible. It's LegalZoom. You know, small business is the big hot topic right now, and that means National Small Business Month at LegalZoom comes at just the right time. Whether you're just starting out or you already have a business, 2018 presents a very unique opportunity. New tax laws include the biggest changes for business owners in the last 30 years. And LegalZoom can help you understand what that means for you. LegalZoom, not a law firm, but has a network of independent tax professionals and lawyers nationwide to answer your questions about taxes and so much more. LegalZoom understands you need to tap into the right resources to run your business, and that's why they're using their 16 years of experience, 16, to provide business owners with the tools to start and run their business the right way. Keep listening over the next few weeks to find out how LegalZoom can help you during National Small Business Month. Don't miss this. Check out LegalZoom.com today and get special savings if you enter code NANCY, N-A-N-C-Y, in the referral box at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. LegalZoom.com. Thank you for helping business owners and regular people like us across the country every day, and for being our partner here on Sirius XM 132.
with me, everybody, is survivor of the Vegas mass shooting, Brian Claypool, our friend. Alan Duke and I are here live in Vegas conducting our own investigation, trying to dig, 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 talking to people into the night, finding out about theories, about logistics, what police aren't telling us. Also with me, in addition to survivor Brian Claypool, our colleague and friend, John Limley, Crime Online investigative reporter, and Dr. Carol Lieberman. Joining us, the author of a brand new book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's on Amazon, and she is a renowned mental health care provider. Dr. Carol Lieberman, thank you so much for being with us. When you're listening to Brian Claypool, as all of this evidence is coming out about the autopsy on the shooter paddock and what we can learn It's just overwhelming, Dr. Carroll. Yes, it really is. And Brian certainly brought it to life. I mean, you could still, I think we all got chills just hearing it. It was still so raw in his mind. Um, Yes, the latest thing is that there was an autopsy and um, people were hoping, I guess some people were hoping that there would be some clear answer in his brain, like if there was a brain tumor or something like that that could uh, account for this bizarre behavior. Of course, if there was, you know, the problem is that there couldn't have been something very um, serious because he did have such amazing planning. So, I mean, it could have been something that was getting more and more serious, but still, he had an amazing planning. And in fact, they didn't really find anything um, absolutely clear that would explain what he did. They found that his brain uh, had some damage from high blood pressure and atherosclerosis, and those things were sort of. Um, you know, consonant with his age. It was really not that abnormal. They did find some, a little something abnormal, which is um, abnormal deposits in his brain, something called corpora amylacea, which, um, you know, you hear about Alzheimer's disease, and uh, that can be related to that, but there really wasn't a huge amount of it, enough to make that kind of diagnosis. Um, there was, there was, uh, this is also connected sometimes with epilepsy and with multiple sclerosis, but again, there wasn't enough. Well, the way it presented itself, they couldn't really make those kinds of diagnoses. They're just saying that this kind of deposit is sometimes found in those in those diagnoses. But um, so, bottom really line, the autopsy revealed nothing as to possible motive. But you know, to you, Alan Duke, my partner here in Vegas right now alan i mean the autopsies would really only divulge or reveal an injury or an a a physical ailment like dr carol is saying like a tumor it can't possibly reveal the thought processes uh, going on in the mind at the time of the shooting alan yeah you know people were hoping that this autopsy would give them some answers because you know for Uh, just an average guy and Paddock seemed like a sort of average guy we want to understand how this could happen did he just snap what caused him to do something like this because there are millions of people who could be like Paddock out there and we want to know why but uh but we're not getting answers and and you talk about the crazy theories out there I mean I was just as I was talking to some people here in Las Vegas uh last night here at the hotel 
uh, there's some pretty crazy ones out there because they don't think that an average normal person with a normal brain would do something this well, horrendous. You know what? Bottom line, back to you, Brian Claypool, you've spent your whole life defending uh, all sorts of crimes, the worst to the, the, the least. And very often a mental defense is a, is a theory of defense for you. But really, when you're the victim and you see people all around you going down in a hail of bullets, does it really matter why he did it? He did it. They're dead, and you're at a survivor's meeting till midnight, and Alan and I are here in Vegas investigating. And at the end of the day, does it matter why he did it to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great question, Nancy. For That's a personal uh, decision for everybody, all the 20,000 people that were there. I could tell you what I'm feeling, and that is I agree with you. I don't – I care less about motive and more about – let me tell you the second thought I had after I survived through that first round of bullets. I said to myself, I am effing upset about this, and if I live, I'm going to get to the bottom of how this can happen and then do my part. It kind of galvanized my godly purpose in the world. Why am I still here? I'm still here now because I'm representing a lot of victims in this case. We want to try to prevent this from happening again. So I'm focusing more on what did the Mandalay Bay and MGM do wrong in terms of horrible training, having little or no security at all, allowing him to use the freight elevator, not having an alarm in the window, somebody's drilling holes in the window, not arming the security guards, things like that. The barricaded door, not doing anything about that. I'm focused I'm galvanizing my focus on how could this happen in a civilized society with people that really care about safeguarding people. To me, the issue is about greed eclipses public safety, and I want to break up that culture of money, money, money at the expense of keeping people safe. So that's my focus. I want to go back to Crime Online investigative reporter John Limley. What else have you learned, John Limley? I mean, Alan has been beating the street and and looking. We've been investigating out here and trying to find out what we can, and we've got some very disturbing theories. What do you know, John? What more can you tell us? Nancy, on the subject of possible motive is one thing that emerged. Uh, Paddock was a high-rolling gambler, but he had been in some declining years as far as raking in the money. Um, and so much so that he was beginning to have bouts of depression, and he had been losing, uh, quote, a significant amount of wealth, according to the Clark County Sheriff's Office, and that could have been one of the determining factors. Uh, in, in the end, we may never know. You mean losing at the table? Exactly. Okay, l- let me tell you something. Um, I'm going to have to go to Dr. Carroll on this. Dr. Carroll Lieberman joining me, renowned psychiatrist and author of a new book, Lions, Tigers, and Terrorists, Am I How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. You know, I, as many people know from looking at the pictures on Instagram and Facebook, took the children on a an epic RV trip this past spring break with my mother, 86-year-old, who took over half the RV, just so everybody knows, and the four of us lived in the other half. Not complaining, but uh, Vegas was in our on our trip, so we stayed at the Hard Rock. And every morning we'd get up bright and early and we'd walk through the casino. There would be people. We were going out and about. We went to Hoover Dam. We went 
uh, into the Grand Canyon. We went everywhere, and we saw David Copperfield, blah, blah. At 7 o'clock in the morning, we would get up and, and go and get them something to eat. There were people at the at, at the, the slots and gambling. They looked like zombies. And I would say to the twins, twins, Look at these poor people. They have gambling addictions, and they're losing their rent money right now, and they're smoking and drinking, which are both big no-nos children. Look what's happening to them. And the children, of course, I'm trying to brainwash them as soon as possible. We're like, oh, no, they're smoking. And uh, (laughs) so they said, Mommy, have you ever gambled? And I'm like, no. One time I put a quarter in a slot just to know what it felt like. Okay. And then they said, well, how did it feel, Mom? I said, well, I immediately regretted losing my quarter. But you go ahead and put your quarter in the slot and see how it feels. So, you know, I, it put, it's like takes over your mind. It's an addiction like alcohol or drugs, Dr. Carroll. Yes, absolutely. And he was doing this for years and years and years. And, of course, what that did to his mind, you know, those late nights, he used to do it a lot at night. And, you know, do be in that atmosphere. And, yes, you know, that's very, uh, it's very, it affects your, you physically and psychologically. And, um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, and when people start to lose, of course, the mental, addict, the people who are addicted to it, of course, um, think, oh, well, I just have to keep doing it. If I just do it a little bit more, then I'm going to win. I'm going to start winning. And that's why they can't stop. And also it's connected to um, gambling addiction. Is connected to sexual dysfunction, like people who have feel that they have sexual inadequacies and or really do have sexual inadequacies. And that's one of my um, theories. I have a bunch of psychological theories for why he did this, and one of them is that uh, he, was, he was losing in gambling and he was also having erectile dysfunction. And um, really one of the key things is that his father, this is what, I, what originally started him off, I believe, Wait, 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 just stop, 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 stop. Uh, how did erectile dysfunction get in there? I mean, apparently, based on all the Viagra, what's the new one, Alan, that they advertise in all the football games? Hey, okay, that just rolled off your tongue, not, not pointing <laughs> finger. But, I mean, apparently, a lot of guys have erectile dysfunction, and they're not committing mass murder and forcing my, my colleague and friend, Brian Claypool, to crawl on his belly from from bullets. Yes, I mean, yes, Brian Claypool, I am not buying, Brian, erectile dysfunction. Okay, because half the neighborhoods in suburban America would be shot up right now. That's that's not working for me, Brian. Brian, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I can't. I, I unlike Alan, I can't Wait. speak to that issue because I don't have that problem. So, uh, but you know. that's not what I was asking. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, okay everybody, suddenly okay. all sorry the men are defending I'm, themselves. I'm suddenly, I'm talking about this is a motive. Okay. I'm, Suddenly I'm, all the men are wait, like, forget wait, wait. the mass shooting. Let's talk about dysfunction. No, I'm saying I'm not buying into that. That's BS. I'm not saying that that is the only thing that was wrong with him and that that would cause him or anybody else to start shooting up 58 people and, and hundreds more. Um, I'm just trying to put, put together a psychological profile because that's what I would do as a, what I do do as a forensic psychiatrist. Um, I think his main thing is, that when he was a little boy, you can always trace these things back, and then you put the things that happened more recently on top of them. His father was on the most wanted list of the FBI at one time. And when, he, and when uh, uh, Stephen was a little boy, his father was first arrested. He robbed banks. 
And um, when the when the feds came to arrest his father, or the authorities came, his mother lied to him and said that that it was not that he was being arrested arrested and said that um, he, he, she lied about where his father was, not that he was in jail, and so on. And um, then his father escaped from jail, and the place where he was arrested again the this, this second time, after he had been on the lam for quite some time, was in Vegas. Now, I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that he was trying to be a better dude than his father. And that's where the erectile dysfunction comes in. It's not all by itself. I want to go back to Brian Claypool. I want to hear about when you finally, when you were running. You, you're crawling along army crawl. The shots are ringing out. You try to protect those two young girls. The guy says, run north now. You start running. Everybody's running. I can't even imagine what that was like, Brian. Yeah, it's uh, what, what 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 people we talked about this at the survivors group. Where a lot of our our our, our the trauma that we're dealing with is is what's called disassociation. If I, I speak for me, I'm I'm still dealing with this. Carol knows probably what I'm talking about. Disassociation, Nancy, means that I'm more disconnected now from the average folk on the street because I don't feel like they can really relate to what I went through, right? For, for example, like what we were talking about earlier, which is, like, I, I feel comfortable talking to you. You have kids, you kind of get it. What people don't get, for example, is I don't know where, I didn't know where the shooter, for, like, here's a good point, shooters. I was just going to say shooters. I thought there were several shooters. We all thought, people I've talked to that were in there, this was a mass terror attack. We thought terrorists were taking over the city of Las yes. Vegas. Okay, this I, this is upsets me. It angers me because I'm so sick of people minimizing what I went through. Oh, you weren't standing over there where most of the people were killed on that there. Yet a person was killed 30 feet in front of me. I saw when I read through the investigative report. Oh well, it was just a guy shooting up in the hotel. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, thousands around. I mean, every move you made. You thought you were going to get hit, but we thought people were coming over the fence. Imagine your, your terror then, Nancy, is magnified tenfold. You don't know where this is coming from in every move you make, your body. That's the, 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 to help you have a vivid understanding of what I went through, every move I made, I thought could make the, be the difference between life and death. And, and even when I got out of the venue, just to finish the story, I end up at the Tropicana, and I'm standing there, and I'm breathing, and I'm like, oh, my, I think I'm still alive. And then all of a sudden, there's an announcement. There's a scream. There's a scream. Another shooter. And then we're, we're told there's an active shooter shooting in the Tropicana and then had to rush through the Tropicana and saw people's clothing, sweatshirts, shoes, strewn everywhere throughout the casino. Okay, so this went on for hours and hours. And maybe if you have another show, I'll tell you about a theory that we talked about with survivors group meeting, which is there could be some credence to possibly there having been another shooting in the Tropicana related to a Saudi prince that was actually in town in Vegas that night who was supposed to be staying at the Four Seasons. That's for another show. Whoa. So, yeah, that's... Okay, hold on. Whoa, whoa, yeah. wait, wait. 
Alan uh, has. We've been here in Vegas. We're we're broadcasting live from Vegas right now, and we have been investigating, talking to so many people. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. This, with the backdrop that we are learning from the autopsy that Stephen Paddock was stone cold sober at the time, is what I'm learning. But you have learned a lot about what Brian Claypool is saying, Alan. Right. And Nancy, I was even reluctant to bring this up because it sounds so bizarre. Not another Alan Duke bizarro theory. Well, it's not my theory. Okay. Uh, I'm really uh, reluctant to even repeat it, but since Brian brought it up, this is the kind of thing that's going around. I met with a private investigator yesterday who claims to have information from his sources. He says these are people he called crew who worked security for this Saudi prince who owns a number of properties here in Vegas who was staying at the Tropicana. Now, again, I give you a disclaimer on this. I don't know that there's any validity to this, but when I heard Brian Claypool mention this theory, I thought I should bring up what I know, that, the, that Stephen Paddock was a diversion on an assassination attempt on the Saudi prince. And you know there's a lot of unrest or uh, positioning, if you will, going on in the Saudi kingdom right now for control of the kingdom. Uh, there have been some arrests and, and, and some shuffling around among the royal family, and there's a huge yeah, amount of money at stake. Right. So, and, and I just listened to this guy and trying to think, should we let him on our show or not? Should we bring him in here? And I, I made the decision that no, because he ha- wasn't able to show me enough evidence to this. But I guess I should bring forward the fact that, yes, there is a private investigator who was telling me all about how this, that Paddock wasn't actual, that Paddock was set up, which I don't believe. Uh, how do you get all the guns up there? Well, this guy was saying, well, the theory is he was a gun runner and he was there to sell the guns. I don't believe that. I think if the police would give more information more uh, timely information, perhaps it would uh, help well, you know, to, I don't to, think, to resolve these rumors that are going I, around. I don't think anything should be off the table. One of the things that I've been kind of saying from, from the beginning is that we can't rule out that there was a terrorism connection. The, um, the gun power the, that they found, the ammunition that they found in his car was similar to what terrorists use. Um, the girlfriend who went to the Philippines, who he wired money to, and we know that that is a place where there are terrorist cells and so on. There is a number of different things that would make it so that the police shouldn't rule out. I'm not saying that they have. I don't know what you've been hearing just now in Vegas, but um, I do not believe we should rule out terrorism. I want to go back to John Limley, investigative reporter, joining us along with the Vegas shooting survivor our friend Brian Claypool and Dr. Carol Lieberman and Alan Duke. John Limley, what more have you learned? One thing, and this uh, is, well, the people making of it perhaps more than it is. It could be just a typo. But one thing, when the postmortem examination results were released on October 6th, uh, one line right below Stephen Paddock's name date of death is October 2nd, 2017, time of death, 1,200 hours, 1,200, not midnight, that is noon on October 2nd. However, this could have been simply a clerical error, but uh, it's one that 
still has caught people's attention. We've learned uh, the reports now revealing the gunman was not under the influence of drugs or other substances when he shot open fire at the crowd during Jason Aldean's event closing set, injuring now, we believe, up to 800 people. It showed he did have anxiety, anti-anxiety drugs in his system, but not enough to be under the influence. He was believed at one point to be bipolar, uh, but so far nothing to suggest that any drug or alcohol influence made him open fire. Back to you, Brian Claypool. You survived. How has it affected your family? Yeah, so here's what I'm going through, Nancy, <clears throat> and and I, I, I read a post the other day that really helped me uh, deal with this trauma. It, it The post on Facebook was, or it was in the survivor's group, it said, true courage is complete vulnerability. Think about that for a second. Yeah. True courage is complete vulnerability. You've gone through this in your life with the tragedy you had, okay? That's how I've chosen to deal with this, for, for, and that's why I've spoken a lot about not only the shooting, but what I'm not afraid to say what I'm going through. Okay, and here's what I'm going through. Because I need to be vulnerable for me to get my courage back because I'm a little bit beaten down from this. Here's what I'm experiencing. Catastrophic thoughts. For example, and I know you're going to get sad hearing this. <clears throat> a week ago, I'm driving my little girl back from school. And I'm on the freeway. And I get this thought as I'm driving in, in, the, I'm driving in the carpool lane, right? Carpool lane is close to the median, and then you have traffic coming on the other side of the freeway. So a week ago, I'm just driving with my daughter in the back seat, and then a thought comes over me that a car is going to hit me from the side, fishtail me, and push my car into the other lane of traffic, and a truck is going to smash our car, and I'm going to watch my daughter die and me get killed. So these are so things are happening in my world. I had a nightmare a week ago about an earthquake. An earthquake was happening, and my little girl and I are rushing to get out of the house as the ceiling is falling on us. That's one thing that I'm going through. Catastrophic thoughts. <laughs> Excuse me. The other part of it is I'm very much more antisocial now. Um, I don't really like being around people much. I don't really trust people anymore. I don't really feel safe anywhere I go. I kind of always constantly looking around my shoulders, wherever I'm at. I don't trust anybody. And and then I think the biggest, one of the biggest things for me, is, is, is I feel like part of my soul was killed. I told people this. I might not have been physically hit by a bullet, but part of my soul died in that shooting. So I'm having struggles with the daily routines of life. In other words, I, you know me, I, I'm, I'm, I focus on my law firm. I take care of my daughter first. I, I keep my business going. But I got to tell you, the everyday tasks of getting my bills paid finally getting my car to the car wash the other day, having tons of stuff in my car that I hadn't taken out. Little things in life that you think you knock out one, two, three have become really, really big tasks for me because I just don't feel like I have the steam to do it. You know what's interesting, Brian? You know what's interesting, Brian, is that I don't know if this is good news or bad news. To this day, and Keith was murdered a long time ago, I, to this day, I joke about it a lot, and I joke about it with the other parents at school and the teachers, and it's kind of a joke to them, but I will go to the school 
at all times of the day and drive by and I make a joke. I'll call my husband on the phone or I might have Alan on the phone and I'll go, he'll go, where are you? I'm driving through the twin school. I'm just making sure they're not in lockdown, you know, that everything's okay. Ha ha ha. I'm not kidding. And I still have the nightmares. I still, everything, it, it, it affects you for the rest of your life. Now, I've gone on. I function. I mean, there have been periods of times that I really couldn't, and all I had was prosecuting or my my job. But having your daughter, it it it's healing because you you have to get normalized. You have to for her. You know, you know, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, that guidance. I just wanted to say, Brian, you know that those are classic symptoms of PTSD, right? Yeah, no, you're right, Carol. I'm, I'm treating um, with a therapist. I'm seeing her on a weekly basis, and I, yeah, I, I that's what she, that's what she's, she's, she's diagnosed. Here's another thing I learned, Brian. I learned that it affects your whole world, like. You know, after Keith was murdered, I went on, I met David. I couldn't let myself marry or be happy or mm-hmm. or love anybody. And that's why I was so crazy mean as a prosecutor all those years. I mean, I looked at everybody and they were like, if I let this guy go on a theft, he could get out and shoot somebody. Then it's on me. Oh, hell no. He's got to go to jail. Mm-hmm. And everybody, if they came to into my courtroom, was just like, woe is you. Because that's where I was coming from. And I, I couldn't move forward. And you know what? What it ended in is me and Lucy almost dying in childbirth because all those years I couldn't let go and be happy and have love. I couldn't have love because in my mind it was wrong. You know, I still love Keith and I couldn't let go. And as a result, you know, because of my delay giving birth so late in life, you know what? Lucy almost died there. So it it affects every. It seeps into every part of your yeah, life. Yeah, Nancy, thank you for sharing that. By the way, I really thank you for sharing that because you just validated something that I'm I'm I haven't really publicly mentioned this, but I, I'm going through something similar to what you're going through. Um, I you know I'm still single. I want to meet a woman and get married. I'd love to have another kid, even though it's later in life. But for me, I, I even before the shooting, I had issues. My mom died when I was little, really really little kid, breast cancer. My dad was alcoholic, never around. I was basically orphaned as a kid and uh, raising myself and my little sister. And so I've never had a feeling of trusting a family foundation. I've always, you know, I I ruined my relationship with my daughter's mom. I should have gotten married. I couldn't trust. I I already had trust issues with marriage, right? Trusting this could be a safe place for me. Then the shooting happens. And now it's like, I try, you know, I tried to go on a date a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so disconnected from the whole thing. I'm like, now I'm feeling like, is am I ever gonna? I maybe I will never have a family now because I just can't. I can't. Try. That's what I yeah. thought. That's what yeah. I thought. But I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Don't do what I did. That's my message to crime victims all the time. Don't stop your life like I did. Don't. That's if I had just been able to just move forward. And when you hear all these theories and you hear John Limley reporting, I mean, 
how does that affect you when you hear all this this news developing, Brian? Yeah, I, well, believe it or not, it, it actually, that part actually helps me. Being involved in this litigation um, and helping these victims, uh, you know, I've got a, a woman who lost a loved one. Her son was killed. She lives in Alaska. <laughs> Excuse me. I've got about 15 people that have been physically injured in the shooting, and I've got about 20 people that are suffering from PTSD. And I have to tell you, Nancy, every single client that I represent in the Las Vegas shooting, it's an honor and a privilege to be representing them because I feel like I'm going to get answers through representing them in this case and being at the forefront of this case. And then that is going to be therapy for me to, to, to in other words, carry out what my godly purpose is in surviving. So that mm-hmm. is actually fueling me. This part, hearing all this, fuels me. You know, I want you, Alan, to tell after all the hours we put in out here, what you have learned to Brian Claypool, any of the evidence, any of the theories. I I've, didn't know the Saudi prince theory in its entirety until you told me. I'm not ruling anything out. I, I don't real necessarily buy that, but my mind is open. I want to hear every, every theory, every fact that we know. One of the people I talked to last night uh, said that, one of the theories is that Paddock was a gun runner. He had all those guns. I mean, they found many, many high-powered guns, and that he, with uh, others, were selling guns globally, and that that was part of why all those guns were up here. But the theory was he was set up and that he was not the shooter. Again, uh, now that we have this autopsy report that is now out, We've got a little bit more keeping in mind. Another person was arrested recently uh, involved in uh, providing ammunition to him. But we still have so many unanswered questions. And until we get some answers, and unfortunately in a case like this, Paddock isn't going to go on trial. So we're not going to have all the discovery that we would normally have. So there probably will be a lot of unanswered questions for many years and a lot of theories out there. And Nancy, among the the theories running around uh, that could point to his being involved with someone else is the amount of time he was in Vegas before the shooting. He drove down from his home uh, about 80 miles north on September 14th. He stayed at a couple of different hotels over the course of a week or so. Then on September 25th, uh, Paddock arrives at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, This is quite a number of days before the shooting. He was greeted like royalty because, as we've mentioned before, he was a frequent high-stakes gambler at the hotel's casino, and the hotel so appreciated his business that they had reserved him a complimentary room, uh, room number 32135. Four days later, he checks into the neighboring suite, the room next door, which connects to that first room, and both suites overlook that site of the shooting, Las Vegas Village. He placed a do not disturb sign on the door, organized the room, stockpiled, as Alan mentioned, an arsenal of weapons. And the day of the the shooting, uh, he actually interacted with Mandalay Bay employees more than 10 times during the day, including uh, just in the hour before that. But it was very telling that when he checked into the hotel, Clark County Sheriff's Department uh, employees say that he carried more than 10 suitcases into his hotel suite. Brian Claypool, I want to hear your message to other 
victims of the Vegas shooter that managed to survive? Yeah, thanks, Nancy. Um, my message would be take the time to understand and crystallize why you survived. That's what I, that's what's getting me through this. I've gone from why me, why am I alive, to what am I going to do for the rest of my life to make a difference. Now I'm on the impact part of my life. So I would encourage survivors to, amid managing their trauma, like Carol said, the PTSD that everybody's going to have who is there, try to figure out why it is you have these precious remaining years left on this planet and, and, and make a difference and impact people in this country in any way you can. That's my best message. Nancy Grace and Alan Duke, live in Vegas with Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.